Hello and welcome to Music is the Drug, Cowboy Junkies podcast, available on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google or wherever else you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you get every episode. I'm Dave Bowler and I write the book Music is the Drug, the authorised biography of Cowboy Junkies, which came out last year. Over the course of the next few weeks, with the help of Michael Timmins and Alan Anton, we'll be looking at songs from right across the Junkies repertoire, from White Off Earth Now all the way through to Ghosts. Today, we'll be talking about Sun Comes Up, It's Tuesday Morning, from the Caution Horses album. After the Trinity session became such a success, this was going to be their first recording since signing to a major label. Did the knowledge that there was a worldwide audience waiting for new material, and a record company looking to exploit it, bring any new pressures to bear as Michael started to write the songs for it? Well, you know, the funny thing was, at, at the time, we were so busy. And, you know, and I've said this before, and, and I don't think you'll believe me, but we didn't, we hardly noticed, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we had, we are now, we graduated, we were touring on a bus as opposed to a van, and we were, you know, we were on Saturday Night Live, and we were, the shows were getting bigger, and more people were coming, but, you know, it's, it was the same thing. We were doing the same thing. We were on the road, we were going to the next gig, we were setting, you know, getting our gear, doing sound check, we were exhausted, um, but it was in more places, and it was around the world, as opposed to places we could reach with just our van, and and so in, so in some ways, that it, that, that record as far as the writing of the record concern, was concerned, it didn't really, what we weren't really affected. Um, and I was beginning to write more, like I'd written a few songs for, for, um, for Trinity, but no, and I was really, I was really beginning to enjoy writing. So that side, it was totally me and it had nothing to do with, you know, the success of the band. I was just enjoying that expression. So, um, uh, so that was completely outside of everything. And, so really, it would, you know, the, the writing of it was unaffected. Not even the band itself. You know, we had a lot of the musicians on the on the road from Trinity Session. So even that was easy because we could, you know, I'd write a new song, we'd bring it in, we'd, we'd rehearse it in soundcheck, and it was all very natural. Um, the recording of the record wasn't so natural. By that point, okay, now we now we have to put these songs on record. That that was a whole other side. That was that was very different. But the actual writing of the record and and getting to the point of the recording studio was very much the same process in some ways. Initially, we weren't when we were approaching the recording. We were going to do another single microphone recording, and the idea was to the initial idea was to find different locations. Like you know, Trinity Trinity was a location, and White Surfers now was our was a location. It was our, it would happen to be our, our garage, but it was still that that was the idea. So this one, what this idea was that Peter Moore was going to find different locations around Toronto, interesting locations that he felt sounded good and would be fun to play in, and we do single we do single mic recordings and just could have kind of spread them out throughout the year as we were back and forth off the road we'd you know go to this a couple of sessions and um and then you know pick the best of them and set so they wouldn't have the cohesion of a trinity session but you know they're, they're sort of we wouldn't we wouldn't we didn't know how we'd how we'd sequence it but that was the idea of how to capture them um keep because, because again we were on the road all the time and we had the, the musicians we were using on the road were the musicians we were going to use in the recording and so the, the arrangements were there it wasn't a matter of arranging things uh, we just want to play them live. We still that was still our approach. So we did one session um, at a place in Toronto, and that was a disaster. Um, we were so exhausted, and we just didn't get anything. 
And then we went off to um, the next time we went off to Sharon Temple, which is this beautiful building north of Toronto. And we recorded there for three days and it was a bit of a slog as well. Like we, it was cold and the room was almost, was kind of too big and we couldn't get a sound. And we finally did get what we liked and, and uh, we thought we'd finished the re record at that point. Um, but we, after listening to it, after a few weeks, it was like, ah, it's just not, it's just not quite it. And then actually in that record, just as an aside, that record's going to come out. We're, we're, I'm talking to, um, we're, we're, we're thinking of releasing that record. We could be called Sharon, um, in, in the next year on vinyl. So. With their own uncertainty over the results of those single mic recordings, RCA were pushing the junkies towards a more conventional recording setup, as Alan recalls. Yeah, so we tried to, you know, do the one microphone recording again in a different location, you know, kind of a smaller wooden church. We thought that might be interesting. At the time, of course, we were with a major label, so they wanted us to try to go into a studio. They convinced us to do that. And, you know, it was all being paid for, of course. So you try it out and, you, and see how it goes. And we found one in Toronto that we liked, uh, the vibe of and everything. And we settled in pretty quickly. We thought this isn't so bad. And we'd had a little more experience with multi-track recording at that point through radio stations and live stuff. So it wasn't, you know, totally foreign anymore. And we trusted the people we were working with to not mess up the sound and hopefully add something to it. So it was, our, you know, it was a learning experience for us to figure out how the studio works and how you bring um, different elements together and make it sound better or different or something. Because it's it, it, we still found it really hard to capture exactly the organic sound of the band in the multi-track situation, just because there's too much going on and too much mixing to bring it back together. So you kind of tend to lean toward another approach and either add instruments or try different mix solutions and all that sort of thing. Um, so we did that and we were actually happy with it. So uh, after that, we were not studio afraid anymore. And, you know, we got into it more and more until, you know, we got to the point where we set up our own studio and probably late 90s or 2000-ish. And we've been just recording ourselves ever since. The nature of the new music, with its lush, full arrangements, much of it already played in live with the expanded band, also nudged them towards recording in multi-track fashion, according to Mike. At that point, we thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe our arrangements have gotten too complicated at this point. You know, we we want we want we want to capture the arrangements on this record, and, and so let's go into a studio and a big enough studio where we could play live off the floor, but 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 mic everything, and also use a single mic, you know, but but sort of set up so set up like it was a live recording and play it that way, but record it, you know, uh, close mic everything as well as, as well as single mic, the whole recording, just to see what we get. So that's what we did. And that's how we, that's what we ended up doing. And um, so it was sort of a combination. We even brought in, like we brought in our sound engineer to do monitors for us. So it was basically those recordings are kind of, are very live off the floor. There's very little overdubs on them. Um, but we captured them single mic. And again, you know, it was different because we were in a studio and we were now paying the crazy rates for a studio. And, you know, it, it, it allowed the record company to walk in every now and then, and which was a pain in the ass. And, you know, so there's all those, all those 
elements that were more traditional, but uh, we were still trying to approach it like we would as an independent band. One of those traditional elements was the record company taking a close interest in just how that investment was coming along. Yeah, well, you know, they they can't help themselves, so that's kind of, uh, pressure is kind of what they do. But luckily, we had a good A and R guy between us and the company, who um, who was able to tamp it down. So they, you know, they pretty much left us alone. But every now and then, they'd come and say, "Oh, you know, you really should make a record that sounds like Trinity Session again," or you know, "We don't hear a single." So you, you do get that that vibe back from the label all all the time. But you've got people in between who uh, who can help you out and you know keep it away. So we we were lucky actually with RCA especially. They just kept us in the back burner as far as trying to develop the, the artist, you know. They left us alone, and they never really complained too much. Sun Comes Up became the emblematic song from The Caution Horses, and a hit single too. A perfect short story, in the mould of a Raymond Carver piece, the lines cascade one after another with a beautiful inevitability, telling the tale of a day in a life. There are occasionally songs where you go back on and you... You can still be proud of them. You know, that's that's a very old song now. That's over, I don't know how long, uh, 20 years plus. Um, and I don't know how I wrote that song. <laughs> um, and I think I remember writing it. I remember writing it in a very, like, like it, like it feels, just writing it front to end, you know, sort of sitting down and writing it. The actual chords I stole from um, an obscure Bruce Springsteen song, which I came across, which uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's not on any album. It's sort of a B-side thing. And, and I remember, le- remember learning the chords and there's sort of this weird suspended chord in there, which I liked. So I, I started with that. And then, and then the words just rolled, you know, they just, they just rolled like they do in the song. And my idea was to write it from a first person point of view and from a female point of view. I don't know if we're allowed to do that anymore, but <laughs> I, I did. And, um, you know, trying to figure out okay, this breakup, but but from a female point of view, and I sort of realized, and I realized very early on, like the female point of view and the male point of view, yes, they're very different, but when you get right down to the base of it, right, right down to the very crux of it and to the cutaway, all the trimmings, it's the same, <laughs> you know, it's all about, it's all about the heart and it's about, you know, it, it's about... I think it's about being. I think it's about being alone. It's about being. It's about loneliness. It's about you know we're all here. We're, we're all trying to connect, but basically we are all alone. And I think it really comes down to that. And um, I kind of discovered that very early on because people always ask me, well, how do you write from a woman's point of view or whatever? And I and I don't. I write from a male point of view. Margot sings it, and a lot of people then think it's from a female. You know, I've written from a female point of view. But I think if the song's successful and the song is strong enough and the song is cut down to its bone as from an emotional point of view. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same point of view, and um, but for this point, but for "Sun Comes Up," I definitely wanted to have a, 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 a an element of a woman's perspective. I wanted it. I wanted to write from that point of view. So that you know, there's the idea of her, of the, the the narrator, you know, going onto the streets and 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 being a be, you know being a, a you know being aware and being wary of being on the streets alone at night, and you know about watching a movie which with a strong female female view as opposed to you know a male point of view and so there's 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 those little elements which are certainly female rather than male but i think the emotional side of it goes to both males and females it doesn't doesn't uh it's not different they're not different i don't think and i'm sure i'll get i'm sure people would kill me for that but i don't care the tale of a relationship that's fallen apart 
breaking up has rarely sounded so beguiling. Certainly, the ambivalence of the lyric perfectly nails the confusion that follows a breakup. That sense of feeling good one minute and then completely lost the next. Yeah, you know, I, and I think there is an element of that, you know, in any breakup, it, usually a breakup has come, there's obviously been turmoil, and, and so you are released from that turmoil. Um, you're also released from the positive things. Uh, you, you assume there were positive things if you're in a relationship, but the probably in the immediate there's an immediate sense of relief because you assume the turmoil has overcome the, the positive side of things. And um, so there's that release, there's that sense of freedom. But, you know, there's also that wistfulness of, okay, well, I've also lost what I've also lost a lot of, you know, very positive things. So um, that, that was the idea. I wanted sort of the person to go through that, that churn of emotion that, that uh, again, frame it in a beginning and an end of the day. And just go through a day and and all the different emotions one goes through or the, the different connections to one's an ex-relationship that one goes through um, in, 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 you know, a fresh breakup of a relationship. We're breaking things up for this episode now, but we'll be back to look at another song next week. Before then, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a new episode. You can also like it, add reviews and tell your friends that we're here. Every little helps. And if you're a Spotify user, you can also follow our growing playlist. Details are in the show notes. To keep up with the band, head for cowboyjunkies.com. We'll be back next week. See you then. I just gotta tell you, I kinda like this extra few feet in my bed.